I want to read something to you that I find um, moderately troubling. And I expect and hope that it will do the same for you. But I believe the Lord will show us something through this if we'll yield our hearts and minds to him. I had a meeting with a brother this week, Wednesday, and he shared a dream with me that struck me as just being a little too different to ignore. And he felt it represented intel on the enemy's strategies against us. And I work with a lot of people in a lot of different fields and so on and so forth, but this brother isn't really involved in those things per se. Um, but this is what he shared. I dreamed last night that we were working on an enormous building. The building seemed almost industrial in its appearance and function. And my feeling was that it referred to some kind of system God wants to give the church as an alternative to the systems we depend on from the world. I saw in the dream the building being brought to progressive levels of completion. I noticed massive ductwork and electrical wiring system being installed with larger than standard cables. However, there were two mocking evil spirits present that had the appearance of disembodied heads. They could not even walk, but had to be pushed around on carts. Whenever the building would reach a milestone in its development, these spirits would commence methodical sabotage. They would dig into the walls and scramble the wires with furious intensity. The building seemed almost industrial as opposed to beautiful or glorious, yet these evil spirits were determined to sabotage its progress. Do you get a sense of this dream? Think about it for a second. Do you get a sense of what, what he's described here? Does anything strike you about this? Because it gets my wheels turning immediately. One of the things that got me is it said that, that the building seemed almost industrial. He repeated that two or three times. What do you think that means? Do you think it's possible that it could mean that God has practical endeavors for us to undertake that may not seem like building Herod's temple, that may not seem like tongues of fire and starting a church somewhere, but are nonetheless part of the building project that he wants to accomplish on the face of the earth? I know I've, I've been seeing some of the work that Brother Matthew has been doing up in Montana and with the brothers up there, and it is, it is so inspiring. <laughs> the 50 cow-calf units that they were able to acquire and the three uh, mill ponds and the grist mill that they're planning to put up and so on and so forth. And I have to ask you, do you think God is in those things? Because if he's not, it's just an exercise in futility. But if he is, how can I say this is spiritual and this is meaningless? Or how can I say this is glorious and this is industrial to borrow from the dream? And then he says that there are these 
that as the building would reach certain stages of completion, these evil spirits would come in and he said, viciously pull out the wires and scramble them. Now he didn't know that Brother Zane had told me that for the Israel Fund, we've been building two houses down in downtown Waco on Colcord Avenue. We've had a very hard time getting those done. And Brother Zane had told me the day before, and I still haven't told this brother this, but Brother Zane told me the day before, he had informed me that the day before, that somebody had gone into those houses and cut into the walls and ripped the wiring out and scrambled it. What possesses somebody to do that? I think we're getting a hint. So do you think the Lord was just telling us of something that's already happened? Do you think he was just warning us not to be uh, destructive of the buildings we build? Do you think he's suggesting that there's a warehouse that we're fixing to build that's really, really big? I, I kind of don't think so. What do you feel like God might be speaking through this dream? The brothers said that they were evil spirits. He also called them demons. Amen. And he said that they couldn't walk. That tells me they don't have access to what we're doing. They have to be pushed on carts by us into the places where they can cause trouble. They don't have access to what God is planning and accomplishing in our midst, except if we give them that access. We give them legs into the projects God's called us to. And what do you think of this business of scrambling the wires as we reach this place of progressive development? Do you think it's possible that the enemy would want you to push that cart around from time to time? Do you think it's possible that this disembodied head, these, this natural mind that is separated from the body of Christ, do you think it's possible that the enemy would want to use us to bring our natural mind into situations and just scramble the progress and set us back months, maybe years, at each progressive step? I believe that about myself. I believe that's what the enemy wants to do through me. And I feel like the warning, there's a warning. And the warning is don't ever push that cart for the devil. Don't ever push that cart for the devil. We're involved, as Nehemiah said, in a great work. And we have got to put on the mind of Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And we know that that mind is not a singular thing. It is something we share collectively. He does not say, I have the mind of Christ. He says, we have the mind of Christ. We, plural, have the mind, singular, of Christ. It warns me that it is the devil's, it is not just the devil's interest to harass vulnerable souls whom we are trying to bring into the kingdom, but it is the devil's interest. It is on his radar what we are doing in the practical. And it is his business to frustrate it and set us back with perpetual interruption of the carnal mind. So it needs to be our business to recognize that as a spiritual dynamic and pray through to know what is the voice of God 
and what is the scrambling of the carnal mind. Amen. Brother, for the Galen referenced the message I ministered from last time we met here, I believe it's Psalms 133, where he says, how good and how pleasant for brothers to dwell in unity, for that is what releases the oil. Do you remember what I linked that to? Do you remember anybody? A time when brothers became of one mind and one accord and anointing was released? Do you remember? Amen. Power of Pentecost is released when complete unity is achieved. I was telling the the brothers last night, where are they? There we are. The McMahons and Richard and Hannah last night that Jesus coalesced a team of people, 72, toward the end of his ministry, and he sent them out with authority over all kinds of unclean spirits that we just read about, all kinds of diseases and so on and so forth. And when, when they returned, they expressed to him that they had moved in the power of the anointing, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we have to recognize that this is the first precedent or hint or forerunner of a church environment. We had had individuals throughout history who had operated in the gifts of the Spirit. Elijah, raising people from the dead. Elisha also, performing twice as many miracles. David, Moses, parting the Red Sea, water from the rock. We have seen the gifts of the Spirit throughout the ages. Amen? But never, 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 never had there been a coordinated group of people in choreographed symphony and harmony with the Spirit operating in its power. Never had there been that power working through a group coordinated under God's headship. And when that occurred, what did Jesus, how did Jesus respond? It says Jesus rejoiced greatly. It's the same word. It shall become in you a fountain of living water welling up unto eternal life. Jesus had this wellspring of joy erupt from him. And what did he say? When he sees the first coordinated operation of the gifts of the Spirit, unity without division, power without hindrance, amen, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The power of the devil, whether it's these disembodied heads, I rebuke and curse them in the name of Jesus, or whether it's any other evil spirit. He is not powerful if we are united. He is undone if we are united. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. When they were all together of one mind and one accord, suddenly God is in the midst of them. And when God is for us, is when God is with us. And when He is for us, who can be against us? For who can stand against the Lord? Oh, people can stand against you, and they can stand against me. But where two or three are gathered, there He is, and who can stand against the Lord, Paul asked. 
But if He can divide us, then that oil stops flowing over some part of Aaron. And when the oil stops, the anointing is gone and the power of the enemy can start picking us off. Don't let that happen, Jesus. Help us to keep that right spirit, that right attitude. Amen. Amen, Lord. We invite you into every corner, every square inch of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we invite you into our thoughts. We invite you into our attitudes, our ambitions, our plans, our feelings, our memories, our words. Amen, Jesus. Saturate your body with your holy anointing oil in Jesus' name, God. Amen. Let nothing protrude from that holy covering of your spirit, God. Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Remember the second time the apostles came together specifically in one accord, what happened? The house where they were staying began to shake. And what about the third time they came together of one mind and one accord? It's to pray for Peter, who was in prison, and a prison shook. Satan's edifices shake when God's people are united in the Spirit of one mind and one accord. Not just, not just theoretically, but they really have one purpose. They really have one mind. The kingdoms begin to shake. He sees Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I want to read you something briefly here. Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon together with the sons of the Muonites came to make war against Jehoshaphat. You know the story. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram. Behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid. You think God's mighty men, women, fathers, mothers, leaders ever get afraid? I got news for you, they do. <laughs> Jehoshaphat was afraid. It's a pretty short sentence. He turned his attention. Next words, he was afraid. He turned his attention. Can I get a witness there? <laughs> What does he say? Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the one who began it, and he's the one who finishes the faith that's, that's sparked in your heart, that's trying to be snuffed out by these Amorite, Jebusite, who cares whatite. Amen. He's got afraid, and he changed his attention. And he turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout Judah. When you feel undone, when you feel like everything's against you, you've got to turn your attention to seek the Lord. You can't start seeking the Lord while you're afraid. My dad once said that some people's prayer is like the sound of a dying rabbit to a coyote, so their prayers are to the devil. Whining prayers don't reach the throne, do they? How do we come before the throne of grace? With boldness and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled and washed clean from all our suspicious evil conscience toward God, confident that He's going to hear us. Those who come to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder. So you can't go whining. You can't pray whining. 
You can't do God's will whining. You have got to rise up and redirect your attention. We don't think of changing our attention that way so much, do we? We think of our attention being captured by various things. And if you're a baby, that's pretty much how it is. But if you're an adult, you know what it's like to have a task that you've been putting off and you don't, you don't like to face it, but then you say, okay, I've got to face this. I'm going to get this done right now. So you know that it's possible for you to turn your attention. And when you feel that overwhelming of the enemy's threat, that's what you're supposed to do. Jehoshaphat turned his, got afraid and turned his attention. So Judah gathered together to seek help from Yahweh. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat went and prayed. Did you not our God drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham your friend? They have lived in it and have built your sanctuary here for your name, saying, should evil come upon us, we'll turn toward your house, and so on and so forth. Now behold, the sons of Ammon, Moab, Mount Sire, all these idiots have gathered together. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. If you don't believe that there are powers in the world, disembodied demon heads, and powers in the world who want to drive you from your inheritance, you don't understand the war that you're in. Every time you start to get close to victory, every time you start to come into your ministry and move faithfully in power, there's going to be three armies to rise up and drive you out of your inheritance. Every time you start to succeed and get a breakthrough in agriculture, there are going to be three armies to rise up and peel you off the land and out of your inheritance. The devil doesn't watch you in your inheritance because Moses told the Lord, if we're driven from our inheritance, they will say their God is like all the other gods. But if we come into the place that God has called us to be and we bear fruit there, then they're going to say, he is a God like no other. Amen. God wants you to get into your inheritance and he wants you zealous for it, but you got an enemy who's fighting you. We rebuke the spirits behind the armies that want to drive us out of our inheritance. We want to get it. Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they, theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I want to be part of that group that gets the inheritance. I don't want to be disinherited after I already touched my feet to the promised land. So he says, here they are. They've rewarded us to drive us out of your inheritance. Hmm. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes, he, start, he ends where he began, our eyes are on you. You cannot do the Lord's will while you're looking at the devil. You cannot build Nehemiah's wall while you're fixated on stupid Samblat and his sidekick Tobias. You got to keep your eyes on the Lord. You got to keep your eyes on the prize, on the purpose, on the word, on the vision. We feel stumped. We feel set back, but we acknowledge we don't know what to do. We acknowledge we don't know where to go, but our eyes are on you. 
We fully expect that something is going to be revealed to us if we trust in you. Amen. But our eyes are on you. All Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Can you picture it, brothers and sisters? They were all standing out there, and the king is praying in such a voice that all of Israel can hear him. He's crying out to the heavens, Oh God, our eyes are on you. Then in the midst of the assembly, the spirit of Yahweh came upon Jehazel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite, the sons of Asaph. How many of you know who Asaph was? He wrote half of the book of Psalms. He and his sons were called to lead in worship. They had a gift of praise. They had a gift of worship. And here his great-great-grandson is in the congregation as the, the king is praying, God is speaking. Amen. And this guy gets up. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says Yahweh to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of the great multitude, for the battle is not yours, it's God's. It's time for us to give up all the battles that aren't God's, that are just ours. We don't have the energy, we don't have the time, and we don't have the manpower to fight battles that aren't God's. It's time for us to enjoin and answer the battle cry of God, of His battle, of His contest. And don't think He's not interested in some of the industrial buildings. The battle is not yours, it's God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by, us, by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight this battle. What a word. You need not fight this battle. Just station yourselves and stand and see the salvation of Yahweh on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before Yahweh, worshiping him. The Levites from the sons of Kohathites and the sons of Korahites stood up to praise Yahweh, God of Israel, with a very loud voice. You believe these people know how to hear God's voice? You believe they know how to respond? So the prophet says this, and the king falls on his face. The multitude falls on their face. And then two whole tribes leap to their feet and start praising God in a great and loud voice. You've got to know the difference between the voice of an Amorite and the voice of the prophet of God. You've got to know the difference between the voice of one of those heads on that cart and the voice of Jezreel, the prophet of the Lord. You've got to know the resonance of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That would convict and quicken your heart that this is God's will. 
They rose early in the morning. That's the end of the thing. And then we skip to the next day. And here's the part I wanted to read to you. They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in Yahweh, your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and you will succeed. How many of you know what happened that morning? What did Jehoshaphat what mean when he said, put your trust in Yahweh? We all agree with that. What did he mean when he said, put your trust in his prophets and you will be established? Put your trust in Yahweh and you'll succeed. Put your trust in his prophets. Your new King James says, put your faith in his prophets. We're supposed to put our faith in men? What does Jeremiah tell us about trusting flesh? Cursed is he who puts his trust in man. He shall be like a shrub in the desert who does not see when prosperity comes. But blessed is he who puts his trust in Yahweh. He shall be like a tree planted by the water. Amen. Who does not see when trouble comes. His fruit and leaf will remain even in the drought. So what do you think Jehoshaphat meant? You think he was leading the people astray when he said that? Put your trust in God. Put your trust in his prophets. You think he was telling them to trust the flesh, the opinions, the personality of this man or that? Is that what he was doing? No, I don't think so. He was saying, you've got to know that if you're trusting God, you've got to recognize when God is speaking through one of his mouthpieces. And you've got to trust that. You're not trusting the flesh of the man. You're trusting what you know was God coming and speaking through the man. He says, put your trust in Yahweh and you will succeed. And in his prophets and you will be established. And they obeyed. I want to ask you, do you think Jehaziel went home that night and got on his face and started praying? He said, ah, don't take weapons. Take tambourines and trumpets and guitars to go face for three armies. And don't do anything but go out and stand still and start praising. And his wife said, I bet, Jez, what were you thinking? He needs cannons. <laughs> he needs catapults. This is insane. We need to go call the Ethiopian king to come help out. No. He needs a word from God. Because the Lord said, you're not going to fight this battle. You're going to let me fight it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And those are the only battles we want to participate in. The battle is not yours. And it's not the king's. It's the Lord's. You think he got on his face that night and prayed? You know, it's a great responsibility to erupt from a congregation and tell them all they got to do is go sing. And the Iraqis and the Iranians and North Korea is going to go home after they kill each other. I, are you hearing what I'm hearing here? I mean, does that put the fear of God in you? But His ways are not our ways. 
and his thoughts are not our thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than ours, and his thoughts higher than ours. He's not looking for people to analyze. He's not looking for people to dissect. He's not looking for people to find some flaw or potential disaster. He's looking for people to recognize the voice of their God. Even when it sounds through the voice, through the mouth of an imperfect vessel like Jezail that never been heard of before. Satan's kingdom took a blow that day. I want that same power in our midst. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you know that God spoke to this group over the last couple years about changing our attitude toward agriculture? I'm the first to acknowledge that we're going to have stumbles and hiccups. People are going to say things they shouldn't say. Mistakes are going to be happening. The fences are going to come. But how many of you know after what's happened here in this spring that God was trying to do something? I want to change the way I respond, brothers and sisters. I'm thankful, but I hope the Lord sees me modifying how I respond. And I don't mean you, I mean me. How many of you know that God spoke to us last year about finances and that whole seminar about money and the whole matrix of finances? And how many of you have seen that very dynamic that we warned about played out? How many of you know God has been speaking to us about these things for decades? Aren't you glad you're in a place where the Lord is speaking to us and loving us? And don't you want to pick up pace, to be in step with His unfolding will? You know, we were talking last night about the incredible phenomenon of Hezekiah's tunnel. But that didn't come out of nowhere. A prophet of God came and told them what was going to happen and how this king was going to cut off their water supply. That was an industrial project, but it was a divine providence. It says that a prophet arose, Agabus, in the days of the Acts of the Apostles and told of the great famine that was coming. That's in the New Testament church. Are we going to push around our little heads, those two spirits, those mocking spirits that scramble as soon as we start to make the connections in the body? Are we going to be part of the unifying force? It says, your kingdom come, your will be done. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. What builds the house? What does Proverbs tells us builds the house? Wisdom builds the house. What tears the house down? Opinions, I think. Wisdom builds the house and opinions tear it down. Hallelujah. I want to be part of wisdom, don't you? Thank you, Jesus. There are things that the devil has sent to frustrate us. Maybe even three armies or more. Or two demons or more. There are those things that the devil has sent to frustrate us. God is allowing to bring something to birth. A patience and a wisdom that is going to be necessary for the days ahead. And when you feel that frustration building in your spirit, humble yourself to get the grace. And say, God, don't let me get frustrated.
argument. God, don't let me get frustrated. In Jesus' name, help me to humble myself. Amen. What is your perspective? And hear him say, this isn't your battle. You just tell your flesh to stand still. Amen. This is the Lord's battle. He's going to give you words that cannot be answered or resisted. Thank you, Jesus. He's going to give you a perspective. Amen. So easy to write people off. So easy to write your brother off. So easy to write off someone who's failed you or someone you misunderstand or who's misunderstood you. Let's not write each other off. Amen. Let's pull together. Amen. We can't lose any. We got to pull together in Jesus' name because where we're gathered in His name, there He is. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. Let's write off pride. Let's write off impatience. Let's write off stupid bluntness. Amen. And let's, let's focus in on what God has for us. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new soil I now surrender you are breaking
confesso meu 